Good morning. Let me invite you to turn in your Bible to Daniel chapter 11. And as you're turning there, you may remember from a couple of weeks ago, I suggested that we're rounding the corner at the end of the book of Daniel. Chapters 10 through 12 are one long vision. And last time we looked at chapter 10, which was the introduction to that last vision. And Daniel was enabled to see that amidst the wars on earth, there is a a parallel and ultimately determinative war going on in heaven. It may be very difficult for our rational Western minds to grasp, but the conflicts, even the, the geopolitical ones, are reflections of the war going on in heaven being fought between the Lord's angels and Satan's demons even right this moment. That introduction ends in chapter 11, verse 1. And then the angel begins the lesson, which in some ways is simply a a litany of the kings that will fight against God's people all the way down through history, showing that the war on earth is reflecting the war in heaven. Certainly we feel it. It feels like at times to us our world is just going in circles. And we need to know what's God's way forward. What does God have for us as you look at His way forward in this vision Daniel chapter 11, we'll look first at verses 1 through 4. The angel was speaking of Michael and said, As for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven. But not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. And then, at the rest of chapter 11, we we receive lots of history King after king, alliance after alliance, war after war, and then another ruler arises whom we've identified as Antiochus Epiphanes, and another man as the Antichrist at the end, and yet God will triumph. Chapter 12, beginning in verses 1, we'll read down to verse 3. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, every one whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars, forever and ever. Let's stop there. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes and see what you have for us here. Send your Spirit to enable us to see the warrior King, the Lord Jesus, who has prevailed on our behalf. And give us the gift of faith to follow after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a friend who really doesn't like to read or listen to the news very much. And the reason he doesn't like to listen to it or read it is he sums it up this way. It's just the same things happening to different people. 
Why would I want to read it? Day after day, it's the same things happening to different people. And isn't that so often how we feel like the world is going? There's no progress. Things are going nowhere. Maybe they're even getting worse. It seems like there's just a circle. And it just happens again and again and again. And we may wonder, what's the world all about? What's history all about? And what does my life have to do with this world that seems to be spinning, going nowhere? In our culture, that prevailing sense of futility can press us either to do one of two things, either to to grab for what we can have now and try to just lay hold and seize the day, or we might give up and just say, I just, I can't care this much about this world that's going nowhere. Do you sense that in your own heart? I better seize the day while I have an advantage, or why bother? Nothing works anyway. That's your heart today. Daniel chapter 11 speaks to you. It answers the question with why do we keep going? Why do we keep working? Why do we keep praying? Why do we continue to give our hearts and our best to a world that seems to go round and round and round with the same things just happening to different people? We're given three answers in this text to that question. Why keep going? The first answer is that we can't trust our power. We keep going following the Lord, because we can't trust in our power. One of the ways we deal with that sense of futility is to assert our authority, assert our control. If I can control the world, we think, if I can command my domain, then at least I can infuse a little bit of meaning into my life. But here the angel says no. And the angel shows us the emptiness of human schemes for control by this litany of rulers and authorities that go by the wayside. In verses 1 to 4, we see the history rehearsed that we've seen again and again in the book of Daniel. Darius was the king, and yet verse 2, his kingdom would come to an end. And then verse 3, a power of Greece would come to do as he wills. But verse 4, as soon as it's arisen, that kingdom is going to be broken and divided. And that same pattern repeats itself from verses 5 to 20, with all of these kings and these wars just going one after the other. There's a war between the king of the south, that's the Egyptians, the Ptolemies, and then and the kings of the north, the, the Syrian kings, and they vie for control back and forth and back and forth. Empires rise and empires fall, and yet another one comes. And it's all futility. It's all the futility of human power. We read about it in verse 6, but she will not hold on to the strength, but will be given over. Verse 12, Egypt will be raised. But he will not remain strong. Verse 14. The violent assert themselves, but they will fail. Verse 17. Destruction is promised by a powerful one, but it won't work. See, again and again and again, people assert their power, and yet they're brought to frustration as their schemes come to an end. And all of our grasps for power and control and authority are brought to nothing. So why was this lesson given to Daniel? And given to us. I think this lesson was given because there are times when you and I feel caught in the cogs of someone else's power. And we wonder, how in the world am I ever going to get out? And we need to be reminded that all of the assertion of power in the schemes in this world will ultimately be brought to frustration and be brought to emptiness before the Lord God. Yes, on the last day, all those authorities that set themselves up against God and His people will be brought to an end. But more than simply on the last day, we see that intruding into today. 
We see a, a hint of the futility and the frustration and the impotence, impotence of all these human schemes. They all come crashing down. Empire replaces empire, and they simply can't endure. The only kingdom that endures all the empires of the world is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. And so why do we give our hearts to the empires of this world? Why do we give our fear to the rulers of this world, to presidents or Congress? Why do we fall and fail in fear at the powers of the world when only the kingdom of the Lord Jesus can endure? As powerful and as threatening as a human power and authority may appear, rest assured, one day it's going to fall and it's going to fall apart. You might feel anxious as you look around at our politically volatile world. You might feel anxious as you read about some the latest attack of terrorism. You might feel concerned about a culture in which we live that increasingly censors your Christian voice. God is telling us here that all of that power will come crashing down one day and it shall not succeed. Not only on the last day, but occasionally we get to see the ends of those powers and those schemes of man fall apart today. People don't command your life. Countries don't command your life. Companies don't command your life. The Lord Jesus is the only King who will stand. But you and I also need to hear this, not only because we sometimes feel caught in the cogs of someone else's power. We need to hear it because you and I often are tempted to trust in the futility of power ourselves. We trust in our ability to manage our lives and and God graciously brings these false trusts up short. Whether it's our trusting in our wisdom to bring about a, a solution to a thorny problem whether it's placing our hopes in politics to to control the decline of our culture. We place our trust in our wealth to solve the problems of the world, or we place our trust in our own resolve to make ourselves better. Yes, we work for righteousness and we work for peace in the world, and yet when we trust in our own efforts and they come up short, if we feel devastated, it reveals to us a misplaced trust. We've placed our trust in our power and in our control and our abilities. The Lord will show us the frustration of putting our hope and our trust in the schemes of man. The only kingdom that shall stand. There's only one. There's only one power that will stand and it is not ours. We trust in the Lord. Not in our power. Not in our control. We trust in the Lord can't trust in it. The answer to why we keep going is that we can't trust in our power and we will face fierce opposition, but the Lord will limit it. You and I are going to face fierce opposition in this world, but the Lord will limit that opposition. By the time we get to verse 21 in chapter 11, we see some fierce opposition and we continue to give our hearts to it, even though the world goes round and round and round because the Lord told us it's going to be this way. The Lord shows us that there's going to be suffering in this life. There's going to be a fierce opposition when we stand for His enduring kingdom in the face of the power structures of this world. And yet our suffering shall endure only as long as the Lord's appointed time, He tells us again and again. 
that angel gave Daniel, a very detailed prophecy hundreds of years before of this brutal Syrian ruler, Antiochus, who would come to power. And this Antiochus, this Syrian little horn, as described in chapter 8, arose to power and he formed alliances in chapter 20, in verse 23. And a war broke out between Syria and Egypt under his power. And he went all the way down to Egypt to invade and it went badly for him. He lost that war. And on the way back to Syria from losing that war, Antiochus was filled with shame and rage in his defeat. And by the time he got to Jerusalem, he was ready to let it out. We read about what happened in verses 31 to 35. We read about Antiochus' brutality against God's people. A fierce opposition against God's people. He killed 80,000 residents of Jerusalem at once. Think about that. Jerusalem wasn't that big a place. And he killed 80,000 residents of Jerusalem as he came back through filled with shame over losing a war against the Egyptians and he poured all of that shame and all of that rage out upon God's people. 80,000 people. That's one and a half times the number of soldiers that our nation lost in the Vietnam War. But it was lost in one city at one time simply because they belonged to God. As Antiochus came to the temple, he sacrificed a pig on the altar. He set up a statue of Zeus in the middle of the temple. He had mothers crucified for having their baby boys circumcised. And some of these residents of Jerusalem caved under the pressure. They began to support and collaborate with Antiochus out of fear for their own lives. One commentator summed up Antiochus's threat in this way. You either be a live pagan or a dead Israelite. Your choice. It was a tough time to be a follower of the Lord. Fierce opposition. And the opposition that you and I face is in the line with what happened to the people in Jerusalem under Antiochus. We read about it in verses 36 to 45 in what appears to be a timeless opponent. The description of this one to come doesn't fit any ruler. It's an intensification. It's a, 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 a personification of evil to oppose God's people. And the angel is pointing our minds and our hearts to the reality that this kind of figure is always going to be present to fight against God's people. God's people will always be opposed with an agent of the devil to try to distort and steal and kill the people of God. And finally, an Antichrist will arise in the pattern of Antiochus. It's going to get bad, is what the angel is telling Daniel and telling you and me. Why? Why would he tell them that? I mean, it's, they're already suffering. They're already struggling. Why would he give them such terrible news? Why wouldn't the angel give them a little bit of fluff? You know, just to tell them everything's going to be all right and just a pat on the head, just keep doing what you're doing. Why wouldn't he tell them that? Because he wanted to give them courage in the fight. And in order to have courage to stand for the Lord, they needed to be told about what lay ahead for them as God's people. And yet they resist and they follow and they know what lies ahead because verse 27 and verse 37 say, all this trouble has an appointed end. The Lord is the one who controls the end. It's going to end for us too. 
It's going to end when the Lord determines how long the fight goes. Not Antiochus. Not any other enemy of God's people. God decides. And God dwells with and God encourages His people with the Spirit while we endure. He tells us what lies ahead so that we can trust Him when we go through the valley of the shadow of death. As Pastor Ron has said, evil is on a rope. The Lord has it. The Lord has it in the palm of His hand. It is restricted by the Lord's purposes. And if you and I are going to face this fierce opposition with courage, then we have to know that the Lord holds the end of the rope. And He will say this far and no more to the devil and all of his agents. Friends, if we know this, then we can face our trials with courage. Can we not? Don't buy into the the false promises that our culture feeds us of of progress and everything's going to get better. Don't buy into the lies of TV preachers who tell you that if you follow Jesus, then everything in your life is going to get better. It might not. We hear from some of these that if you follow the Lord, your health will improve or your financial problems will go away or you'll get a job that's good and that you can keep it and you can like it. But it's not necessarily true, is it? Following Christ can be extremely costly because sometimes God's growth plan for us is suffering. Sometimes we grow best when we struggle and when we suffer. But here's the difference. God goes into that struggle with us. Really, He goes into it within us by His Spirit. The suffering that we face will never outpace the power of the Lord's will and the power of His presence with us. I promise you that you will be given more than you can handle. I promise. It's a guarantee in this life. You will be given more than you can handle. But you will not be given more than He can handle in you and through you. The Lord is the one who is in control. The Lord is the one whose power raises up within us and enables us to endure the suffering that we face with faith and with repentance. He goes into it with us. Just as we saw with Daniel in the fiery furnace and the lion's den, Jesus goes into those struggles, into those trials, into that pain alongside us, no matter what they are. None of our struggles and none of our pain is wasted. It all has a place in God's plan for us and in God's plan for the world. Living for Christ in a fallen world might be very, very costly for you. It might be a long, hard road that lay in front of you. But Jesus goes with you. And He will bring it all to an end at His appointed time. So we keep going. Because the evil that we face is limited by God's design. The third answer for why we keep going is that we are assured of ultimate victory. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 flash forward to the end to the final battle, to what Revelation calls Armageddon. These verses are given as a reason for our hope and our trust when the world goes round and round and round because we get to see the end. We get to see the last page of the novel, as it were. And it gives us endurance and strength to face our our battles today. In a way, this future scene is given in order to crash into our present and to assure us that not all is lost And none of our pain is wasted. And it does this by lifting our eyes beyond our circumstances today to see Jesus' victory through us 
in the end. How do we see that? Well, in verse 1 of chapter 12, we see that the battle and the struggle may get fierce, unlike any trouble before. But God's people will be delivered, it says, all those whose names are found in the book. What book? What book is the angel talking about here? It's the same book that's mentioned in Luke chapter 10. It's mentioned in Revelation chapter 3. It's mentioned in Revelation chapter 20. And the book is the Lamb's book of life. In a sense, this book is the roll call of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, those whose lives have been bought by the blood of Jesus spilled upon the cross. Names are written in that book. Think about that for a minute. If you're struggling, if you're suffering, if you you feel powerless and, and beaten down and under the thumb of someone, think about that for a moment. Let it sink into your heart that your name is known by God. Your name is written in God's book of His people. Your name is written in God's book of His people, written in the ink of Jesus' blood. No power, no scheme, no trial, no failure, no sin, no force could ever erase your name. No one can snatch you from Jesus' hand because you didn't put yourself in His hand to start with. He laid hold of you in the midst of your great struggle. And He has a fierce grip upon all of His children. Your name is written in His book of life. Verse 1 is a language of determination. It says, your people shall be delivered. Your name shall be found in this book. How does it get there? It doesn't get there by your spectacular deeds. It doesn't get there by your stalwart life of living for God. It doesn't appear in that book by your execution of your power in order to control your life and your circumstances. But rather your name appears in that book by repentance and by faith. Placing your fledgling and weak trust in what Jesus has done for you, not what in you can do for Him. The only kingdom that shall remain The only king that shall rule for all of heaven and earth has written your name in his blood on the charter documents of his kingdom. Does that not lift your head? Whatever you face, your name is written in the book of life. And so we stand. It's not only the news of the cross that we read in these verses, but also the good news of the resurrection, the clearest expression of resurrection hope anywhere in the Old Testament. Did you see it in verse 2? It says that death isn't the end for any of us. Some will be raised to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now that turns the power structures of the world on their head, doesn't it? What's the fiercest and deepest threat that the powers of this world have against you? What's the, 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 the end The most powerful thing they could threaten against you is what? To take your life. The worst thing the world could do to you is to take your life. But God is saying here, the end of your physical life isn't the end. That simply ushers you into the horizon that continues of of resurrection and eternal life. He says, stand because the worst that the world could ever do to you is no end at all. You have a resurrection And you have eternal life to look forward to. So stand. Stand for Him in the midst of a world of trouble. 
me summarize what God is saying to us here through this angel. He's saying the fight's going to be rough. It's going to be tough for you and for me. It's going to be terrible in this world. But God is saying, I will provide the victory. And I will provide eternal life. What's the worst that they could do to you? Usher you into my presence faster? Is that the worst they can do to you? Or paraphrased as Luther wrote and we sing, The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. No earthly kingdom, no emperor, no president, no Congress, no gulag, no jail cell, no punishment for your Christian convictions. All of those will fall away and God's kingdom shall stand forever. I hope you realize that this is not given as a rah-rah speech. The angel didn't tell Daniel this as a let's go get him kind of a thing. But rather it was a tender and a holy moment for Daniel. Maybe it is for you too. Because this was bad news. This was told to Daniel in the midst of deep suffering and struggling. And he was told it's going to get worse. And yet in the moment of that holy bad news, in the midst of living in a fallen world, the news in the news is that the Lord holds us in the palm of His hand. The Lord holds us in the palm of His nail pierced hand. The one who holds you will carry you through your pain. He will carry you through your struggle. He will carry you past death to be safe home with Him on the last day. So today, we can stand and we can hope and we can pray knowing that we rest in the arms of our Savior. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that by the power of Your Spirit, You would strengthen us to stand for You. You would strengthen us to live as kingdom citizens with love and humility, pursuing the peace of our world even when opposition comes our way. We pray that You would make us agents of the outpost of heaven here in Your church, that Your ways, Your word, Your priorities would be not only spoken but lived in this place, even when opposition comes our way. We ask that You would strengthen us by the truth that we rest secure in Your palm because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.